This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, good people. What's going on? How you doing? Welcome to episode 174 of the future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, presented today by our friends over at 26 Shirts. Black Friday episode, impromptu episode, trust me it is, more on that in a second. First and foremost, I hope that you enjoyed Thanksgiving, you had a great meal and you had a good time on Thanksgiving with your loved ones, you're a Buffalo Bills fan, I'm very, very confident that you did. If you need reminding, this Friday morning as you're listening to this, there you go. Dallas is going down, Gary. Only Buffalo is going to win it. Dallas is going down. You know, it's funny. I honestly had zero intention of playing it on this podcast. In fact, I've heard it so much on Twitter this week that, frankly, getting a little bit sick of it. But after Thursday's game, it's just too fitting to not do it. Anyway, I said that, that this is an impromptu episode of the Moranalytics podcast. And the reason being is, honestly, I didn't have any intentions whatsoever on doing a show for this Friday. The combination of Thanksgiving and Black Friday and so many people being off work out of their normal routine, I figured I would just enjoy Thanksgiving with my family, watch the Bills game and, you know, relax, call it a night. But that changed. That changed because I was so enamored with how the Bills played. So, moved so motivated that I said there is no way in hell and I am going to wait until next Tuesday to talk about this game on my podcast there's just no way I feel like I mean I'm doing one show right now I feel like I could have a show every day for the next month just on this game alone that's how energized I am and motivated the Buffalo Bills are making me right now to do a show so anyway long story short I went from not doing a show to putting one together hastily with no pre-planning whatsoever. Typically when I do a podcast and I have a guest, I have a pretty significantly detailed outline. I know what I'm going to talk about. I know when I'm going to talk about it. I have plenty of little footnotes, facts, stats, things like that. None of that at all for today at all. So anyway, long story short, I went on Twitter late Thursday night looking for somebody to do the podcast with. Again, it's Thanksgiving night now. I didn't talk to anyone in advance. People are with their families, relaxing. Totally understandable. Long story short, I ended up hooking up with Bill Kenny from the 716 Sports Podcast. Of course, 716 Sports Podcast, good friend to the show. Jeff Boyd is on with me all the time. One of my favorite guests that I have on, recurring guests. With Bill, I actually had never had a conversation with Bill in my life. So this interview that you're going to hear, I talked to him for a grand total before we started taping, maybe 30 seconds, minute, minute and a half at the most. And then we just started rolling. I didn't tell him what we we're going to talk about because frankly, I didn't know what we were going to talk about. All I know is that the Bills absolutely manhandled Dallas and we just hit on a lot of different things. Not going to waste any more time here at the top. Let's get right down to business. Here it is. My Bills recap with Bill Kenny from the 716 Sports Podcast. Let's do it. I got Bill Kenny from the 716 Sports Podcast on with me. Literally talked to him maybe 10 minutes ago to do the podcast. But anyway, we've never actually talked before. Got him on the line right now. Bill Kenny, 716 Sports Podcast. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Pat, we did it. 
feels so good right now, let me tell you. Uh, I'm on vacation right now down in Raleigh, North Carolina, and my God, I cannot believe what I just saw. Yeah. Truly I, incredible, my man. It, it really is. And again, I, uh, you know, I'm down here in Florida, so obviously the vibe's not the same as being in Buffalo, of course, but we had dinner early, 2 o'clock, just myself, my wife, my son, just the three of us. That's it. Didn't go anywhere. We got invited to a couple places, but I wasn't going to watch a Bills game on Thanksgiving with other people. Figured I probably would be on my worst behavior, screaming and swearing at a TV. Didn't really want to do that. So anyway, we settled in home and uh, lo and behold, I mean, wow. It just, I'm almost, you know, for somebody who talks a lot, like I do, I'm almost speechless. The Bills win 26-15. They're 9-3. and The nation saw it. There's no more saying they haven't been in a team that's any good. There's uh, no more saying that they can't do it when the big lights are on. And I saw a stat on ESPN that they're now 95% to make the playoffs after this win. And again, before this game, I, I listen, I'm going to tell you, Bill, I'd be a liar, okay? I'd be lying to everyone listening right now if I sat here and said, I saw this coming. I thought the Bills were going to go out and win in Dallas. In fact, before the game, I made it a point, and maybe I was already setting myself up for a loss. I said that I considered the Baltimore game next week at home more important than this game. And I'm going to be honest, again, I did that on the assumption that the Bills are going to drop this game on the road on Thanksgiving. I don't know. What did you think coming in? What were your expectations coming in? Did you, I'm not saying, did you predict the Bills are going to win? But, ah, man, I mean, the way they did in this fashion, did you see this coming at all? No, there was no way to see it in this fashion. And I did I did pick them in, in, in a couple pick and pools just because of, that's kind of what you're you're supposed to do, right? And you know the Cowboys, they're they're a national brand, right? They're one of the five national teams. Yeah. So you you get your chance. It's the first time in 25 years that the Bills have the Thanksgiving stage, which is arguably bigger than the Monday night stage. I mean, we saw a Chargers Steelers game a, a few weeks ago on Sunday night that, you know, it, it, even the Sunday night stage it doesn't really compare to the game in Dallas on Thanksgiving, and the Bills showed up and. After that first drive, which admittedly it looked a little bit shaky, but my God, after that, it was an enjoyable Thanksgiving, my man. It was absolutely incredible. I, I you know, I like I said, I, I picked them in my pick em pools. Did I think they were going to win? No, I, I, I thought they made cover. You know, I saw six and a half, seven coming into the game, whatever you wanted. I thought they would be able to cover. They dominated that game basically from the first five minutes after the first quarter started until basically the end. I mean, they, they were the superior team in every way. Other than penalties, they were absolutely superior basically in every way. And I really thought it was, and, and it sounds cliche now, right? Because we keep saying, well, that was their most impressive game. Top to bottom, I'm going to take that game over anything else I've seen this season. Oh, yeah, by far. It's not even close. I thought last week's game against Denver was their most impressive game because Denver, despite a 3-7 and seven record, it played a lot of teams very tough. And I thought the Bills pretty much dominated on both sides of the ball. Such was the case again today on Thanksgiving. And you hit on this. This is my big point of the game, okay? I want to start with one word because I think this was the most important term for this game, and that's the word composure. You know, Dallas, like you mentioned, they took the opening drive, nine plays, 75 yards, and it looked like child's play out there. I mean, the Bills' defense looked jittery. Trey White had I, at least one. Yeah, he had one um, illegal penalty. He had a penalty. It wasn't a pass interference. It's legal contact. Yeah, penalty. I'll get well, it. I'll, yeah, I'll get yeah it. early contact. Mm-hmm. Right. He just, he didn't look right. The defense didn't look right. Ezekiel Elliott had his way on that first drive. You just got that sense. I was like, all right, here we go. Everything that all the critics are saying is true. The sure, the Bills are 8-3. and three. They haven't been anybody. They're playing a good team. They're on national TV with the world watching. And here we go. Dallas just takes the ball at home on Thanksgiving, goes right down the field, and bam, before you could, uh, you know, get settled into your couch, it's it's seven nothing. And they the Bills didn't respond immediately. They came back and they punted. So it's like Dallas has the ball again. They're up seven. But again, that word composure for me positively did not get rattled in the least. The defense really started sinking after that. Dallas, after that touchdown, ended up going punt, punt, interception, lost fumble. So that's two turnovers by the defense there. And then that missed field goal at the end of the half. Bills are leading 13-7 at the half. Just a resilient bunch of dudes out there on Thursday. 
that speaks to me. And I have issues sometimes with Sean McDermott and his game management and clock management specifically. But watching this team play today, getting dominated on that first drive and then just acting like, all right, man, let's just, you know, no sweat off our back. Let's dig our heels in here, guys. And it was just a a well-coached, well-prepared team. You got to give a lot of credit before we talk about anyone else to Sean McDermott, having this team ready, prepared, and most importantly, composed out there. Oh, absolutely. And we, we talk about Sean McDermott and we make fun of him, right? Like, it, it, you know, I, I refer to him as coach troops on our show and you know, he, he's a, he's a big clapper. He's a big motivator and he's facing the ultimate clapper today. Right. You know, we, we know what the reputation is of Jason Garrett and, after that first drive, yeah, it didn't feel good because they walked right in. I, you know, there were some there were some dumb penalties, and we know that the Bills' defense can sometimes kind of uh, be a little bit undisciplined, and it seemed like we were kind of seeing the Bills' defense of old. But after that first drive, they really did an excellent job of just kind of locking in, realizing you know what what the mission was, and they're they're playing a team. You know, it, we we think about the triplets between Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin. Uh, back in the in the day for the Cowboys, what they have right now with Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper, I think is, you know, it, it, it's almost on par, if not superior, to what they had back in the day. I know that they're not necessarily winning championships, but the the offensive talent that they have, and then you look at their offensive line as well. I mean, they have a lot of a lot of skill right there, and the Bills' offense, at, or sorry, the Bills' defense after that first drive did a fantastic job of completely shutting them down until garbage time. I thought it was, you know, they got yards, but they weren't able to execute at any point when it really mattered. And I thought that was really important. And the Bills defense, you know, sometimes it feels like they're a little bit almost bend, don't break. I thought today they they never really bent after that first drive. And I really was impressed with that. Yeah, I agree. You know, the whole... Stats, quarterback, yards, passing. I mean, today was kind of an example of how little it can mean. At least sometimes, anyway. Prescott did go 32 of 49 for 355 and two touchdowns. But a lot of that was empty garbage time stuff. He didn't hit the passes when the game was still on the line, when there was still doubt in the game. So, yeah, those those stats could be completely overrated. A couple things that I want to get out of the way before we move on that really didn't have any effect on the game ultimately, but they really bothered me at the time. Still do a little bit now. One, Stephen Hoskin missing the field goal. It's a 50-yarder, and you can't be too mad for missing 50-yarders. I'm like, all right, whatever. But then he misses the extra point, too. Something's not right with him. Now, granted, he did kick the field goal in the second half. I think he made two extra points in the second half. So he kind of feels a little bit better about himself after the game, but that's worrisome for me going forward. And then the other things, I'm not that guy who complains often about the officiating, but I thought it was horrible today. Very biased, it felt to me one-sided. The only thing that was more biased and one-sided than the officiating today was the announcement for the most part. I I think I mentioned on Twitter at one point, I was like, Romo and Nance, they had Emmett Smith in there. I was like, why don't you just take off your suit jackets and put on Dallas Cowboy jerseys when you're in the booth? Because that game was so one-sided the way it was um, broadcasted as well as officiated. It was just very aggravating to me. I'm sure, obviously, you watched the game do you agree with what I'm saying? Did you kind of get that sense? It's like, you know, the Bills are playing too. It's not all about Jerry Jones. It's not all about what the Cowboys are, or even when the Bills are winning. It's not all about what the Cowboys are not doing. It's about what the Bills are doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think, so here's the problem. Jerry Jones is the, the single most dominant figure in the NFL. It doesn't matter what his team is doing. I, I think about last week, the broadcast, you know, Fox clears the deck, right? They have a national broadcast in the 4.30 time slot. And you got Cowboys at Patriots. And you have Robert Kraft on the other side and Bill Belichick and all that. And it felt like still this was a referendum on how the Cowboys were doing and what Jerry Jones thought about what the Cowboys were doing. And we definitely felt that in the post game as well. And I I do think tomorrow when you wake up, if you're going to click on ESPN or CBS or Fox, you're going to understand the Cowboys perspective. But what happened today was an eight and three bills team went into Cowboys stadium on Thanksgiving and dominated essentially for 50 minutes of the, of the 60 minute game. I I really believe that. And I'm not one to heap praise on the bills. um, You know, hit willy nilly. That's not my style. And honestly, I, you know, I'm still not a fan 
of what was given up for Josh Allen, and I'm still very critical of what the play calling is on a, on a game-to-game basis. But I'm not going to lie. I thought today was the best. Now, let, you know, let's take the house shit thing real quick. We saw the stat. Hauschka is the least accurate kicker that still has a job since the beginning of the 2018 season, and that was flashed during the game. He misses the extra point. He misses the field goal. He bangs in another one, Yeah, uh, another field goal, right? I mean, he is struggling right now. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, he got very lucky. He almost nearly very missed lucky. another one. Yeah. Very lucky. You hit you hit that upright, and you don't – I mean, you're just – you know, you, you give up all utility as far as whether or not that thing is going to go in. So it was barely in there. Look, if I'm the Bills, I think I need a better kicker right now. And, and I agree with you. I think Hauschka has been poor. But, you know, it, yes, the officiating certainly seemed – I think there was um, one – I think it was actually on the first drive where Allen basically gives himself up on a slide. Yeah. And he gets hit. Twice. And, you have to think if Prescott is the guy that's getting that, that's going to get called, right? So it was definitely kind of a tight game. And, you know, all right, you got Tony Romo and you got Jim Nance. Jim Nance is doing every single game that CBS gets the Cowboys, essentially, he's going to do. And it's certainly now that he's partnered with Romo, they're going to make an excuse to do that. I, I, I don't think they did the Dolphins game, but, you know, they're going to do any other game that they can possibly do. So I get that. And obviously it's on national stage. But I thought the Bills, they actually showed, compo- you know, let's talk about it. They showed composure, right? Yeah. They struggled at the beginning. They really, they were really struggling. I, I was not happy with that first drive. They shot themselves in the foot twice with penalties that extend the Cowboys' drive. And you know what? And another then here thing, they Bill. Are after that, and they walk in, and I thought they did an excellent job there. For and there you know after. what? You know what, Bill? With that first drive, that's not the first time where this defense has looked really bad early in the game before settling down. That happened against nope. Cleveland. The Browns You're went right. right down the mm-hmm. field and scored. I want to say it was the Giants. I'm pretty sure it was the Giants game. It was. I remember now. We played the Giants. Saquon Barkley had all those yards on the opening drive. The Giants took the kickoff went right down the field and scored, and then the defense settled down. So that's at least the third time this year that the Bills' defense laid an egg on the opening drive and then really said, you know what, that's enough. This this isn't going to be your day. We're not going to go out there, and we're not going to embarrass ourselves. In regards to Hoska, this was a stand. I'm glad I forgot about that field goal until you said it, that hit the upright and took the lucky bounce. I think that's like six of seven now that he's missed from 50 yards. That's going to weigh on Sean McDermott's mind maybe later in the season when it's a key pivotal point of the game and he wants to, you know, when he's considering attempting a field goal saying, well, this guy's missed six of his last seven from 50 yards or farther. That's a problem. But at the same token, you know, you're in week, what is this 13, something like that in the NFL? I really don't think that you could do anything about it for the duration of the season. I'm not sure that there's a guy out there in the street right now that is better than Steven Hoshka. I think you just got to ride him out for the rest of the season and, you know, hope that his head is right that day and that he makes the kicks. I'm not really not sure that you can really do much in terms of getting a street free agent. And by the way, this has just been a really bad year for kickers, period. Dallas did us a big favor. They missed two field goals today, too. So one of them was that 35-yarder before the half that I think kind of, you know, that might have deflated them a little bit. I mean, it's not score-wise, not that big of a deal. It would have been 13-10 instead. It's 13-7 at the half, but that's a deflator. And they missed two. Kicking's been a, a problem around the league this year. There's very few dependable, reliable kickers. Just last week, I was watching the end of that Carolina game against the Saints that the guy from Carolina missed like a 35-yard field goal that would have put him ahead in the last 30 seconds. So, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, and I think um, I think it was Roger Sherman at the Ringer actually had an excellent article. I don't, I can't remember if it came out at the end of last week's games or the week before that, but there was a steady rise in what kicker accuracy has been for the last, I don't know, it was like 20 years plus, whatever it was, at least in terms of field goals. Obviously, we know the extra points moved back a few years ago, so that's created a little bit of variance in what an extra point can be. But basically, it was a steady trajectory up for for field goal kickers and then all of a sudden it is spiked down and it is a it is a legitimate concern for obviously the bills but there's a there's a bunch of other teams too so uh, we we did see it with the cowboys as well uh, you know i hyperbole says yeah you got to cut house i mean he he is you you can look it up he's the least accurate kicker 
uh, right now, at least going into today's games, um, in terms of regularly employed field goal kickers since the beginning of the 2018 season. Are the Bills going to be able to find somebody on the street, like you said, for the last four weeks? Uh, probably not. They're not going to, and I, I don't expect them to make a move. But it is something where there does seem to be some sort of, whether it's mental or physical or form, I don't know what it is. There is an issue for the Bills on special teams when it comes to 50 yards out. And even going in, you know, how confident are you that if Hauschka had to make a 48-yarder, you know, it's it's two yards. I don't think that mental hurdle of having a five instead of a four in front of the length of the field goal is, is the issue right now. I think he's just off. And I'm not pretending to be smart enough to understand what it is, but there is certainly concern for the Bills going forward when it comes to anything 45 yards and out. And that's where, you know, you get worried about when the Bills kind of stall in between the 30 and the 40, and they're forced to go into a long field goal. Yeah, I agree. Look, we're going to talk Josh Allen in a couple minutes here. Obviously, the story of the game, and very rightfully so. But before that, I want to talk about a couple guys who just absolute beast out there on Thanksgiving. One's Ed Oliver. He had two sacks in the first half. A forced fumble, a strip sack. He's got a sack in three straight games now. I saw a stat, I think it was the Bills PR, that um, pointed out he's the first Bills rookie since Daryl Talley back in 85 to have three straight games with the sack. And literally any worries about this guy early in the season because, I mean, let's face it, he was not doing much in a way to be expected as a rookie, playing a very difficult physical position to learn in the NFL. He got off to a Predictably slow start. Plus, Jordan Phillips has played very, very well early on. In fact, he's continuing to play well, Jordan Phillips. But my point is this. This guy is coming on in a very, very big way. Now, any worries about this guy potentially, I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds, even throw out the word bust after seven or eight games. Any nonsense talk like that, flush that right down the toilet. This guy is looking like a beast. And now you could totally see why Brandon Bean if he was in, if he was at Chicago for the draft, he might have ran to that podium himself with the card instead of calling it in from the Bills' war room if he would have had that opportunity. Why they wanted that Oliver as badly as they did. This guy's starting to play amazing football. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, he, he came from technically not a Power 5 school. And we, we definitely know that in the Bean McDermott regime, they do favor the Power 5 guys, right? But this year they sure. kind of spread it out a little bit. They take Ed Oliver, they take Devin Singletary, and you're seeing, you know, the benefits of guys that had superlative efforts in non-Power 5 conferences in college football. You know, Ed, Ed Oliver at Houston, we're seeing Devin Singletary from Florida Atlantic. These guys are legit. They were dominating their conferences as as is at the position. And, you know, Oliver, he had some issues with a coach that was fired after two years um, at Houston in Major Applewhite. I, you know, the, the whole disagreement about wearing the jacket. And, and I know that there were some Bills fans that had some concerns about character issues, which I just, you know, unless you're getting arrested for – you know, domestic violence or things like that. I'm not worried about your character issues. I, I think he was he knew that he was a better player than what the entire coaching staff at Houston realized. And to get him where they were able to, yeah, he struggled for the, the first eight weeks. And we, we even brought to light it on, on our show. But I, he, he's a dominant force now. And it, it's funny, you see him making tackles for loss, making sacks, and he's not even considered a starter right now. But I do think over the last couple of weeks, he, he's been the most dominant force on that defensive line for the Bills. And, and, and it's great to see him performing at the level that he is because Ed Oliver is a keeper. I mean, I, I really think he's going to be one of the dominant tier linemen on the defensive line for years to come in the AFC. Dan, you know, it was just a month ago that this kid was playing 30, 32% of the snaps. Again, Jordan Phillips had taken over that role in a big way, and now Ed Oliver's kind of wrestling it back. You just said the word keeper, and I instantly think of Shaq Lawson. Yeah, I'll tell you what, he had another half sack this game. Very stout against the run. He had a couple key stop or stops right at the line of scrimmage on Ezekiel Elliott. He was he's a force. He's a force every week. I feel like this, first of all, this guy's up to five and a half sacks now. I mean, he's not known as a guy who gets sacks. He's known as a guy who is good against a run. And by the way, he's one of the best run defenders in the NFL at defensive end. 
Now he's up to five and a half sacks. I talked about this on my show last week. The Bills earlier in the offseason had an opportunity to use that fifth year on him to exercise that option. They chose not to. Shaq Lawson is playing himself into a very big payday. Maybe it comes with the Bills. Maybe it comes outside of the organization. But yet again, against Dallas, and a very good, by the way, I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys here, a very good offensive line. And you're talking about a quarterback in Dak Dak Prescott who was only sacked 12 times in his last 11 games coming into this, and he got dumped by the Bills four times today. So Shaq Lawson, one of those guys, man, he's just, he's playing himself into a very, very lucrative offseason. I thought he was phenomenal yet again today. Yeah, you know, Shaq Lawson's biggest flaw right now is that he wasn't drafted by by the Bean McDermott regime, yeah. right? We've seen them dump so many of these guys. I mean, literally all of them, right? He, he's one of just so few, especially on the defensive side. And I think they kind of, I don't know if they were sending a message or not. I don't know what they thought about this guy. I really don't because obviously they don't extend, you know, the, the fifth year option on what you see so many of these first rounders do. And yet, he has had his best season unquestionably as a pro this year. So what do you do with him? You have so much cap space. It stands to reason that you could probably sign him for two or three years at a relatively reasonable cost. Um, but good for Shaq Lawson. I mean, he, I, I think he's better this year than he has been at any point. And I, I do think that that speaks to what kind of defensive coaching staff that we currently have in Buffalo. I mean, you know, we saw how good they were, right, um, previously, and then you get Rex Ryan in here, and then everything falls to shit. And we thought, surely this is going to be okay, right? And then all of a sudden under McDermott, all that all that defensive talent has gelled again, and they're in, they're back in the right system, and everything has cohesively come back together. So it, it's promising to see after, you know, you have a couple years where you're, you, you know, you're, you're awesome. No matter whether you're dealing with, you know, traditional stats or you're d- dealing with like, you know, football outsiders, DVOA, everything's looking great on the defensive side. Everything completely falls apart under Rex. And then you're coming back and Lawson was a Rex pick, but I do think that he's a legitimate defensive player. And I would hope that they would consider some to- sort of, even if it was a short term der- uh short team deal, uh, short-term deal, I should say. I, I would hope that they would at least consider, you know, giving him something in the offseason because I think he's earned it with his play on the field. Well, I'll tell you what. See, this is where I kind of don't agree. I don't think he's going to get a short-term deal. Somebody's going to pay him a lot of money. He's a guy who's going, I think this is what, at the end of his fourth year now. He's by far playing his best football of his career. And by the way, I also think that he's playing with a huge chip on his shoulder because I feel like in the first couple of years, he's a first round pick. Like you said, he, he isn't a McDermott guy, so to speak, from the last regime. Maybe he was just happy to be a part of the role. I don't know what he was thinking at the time, but he wasn't as productive. He was always good against the run, but there was you were getting nothing in the pass rushing game at all from Shaq Lawson. But that's not the case this year, man. I got a feeling, you know how NFL free agency works. It takes one team and a guy like him, fourth year, Playing his best football, he'll probably at this rate, maybe he ends up with seven, even eight sacks. Really good against the run. He's playing himself into a very big offseason contract. Don't know if it's going to be with the Bills. I'm already convinced that uh, Jordan Phillips is going to end up somewhere else because, not because I don't like him. In fact, I very much like him, but he's another guy. I think he's going to get, one team is going to overpay him. You know, you always got that, the Raiders or the Browns. There's going to be somebody out there that's going to throw a lot of money at this dude. And you have Ed Oliver. So I could see Jordan Phillips being let go for that reason, or I shouldn't say being let go, letting him go and not giving him that kind of money. I hope that's not the case with Shaq Lawson, because unlike the defensive tackle position where you got Ed Oliver, you don't have a lot behind Shaq Lawson right now at all. So I hope they can find a way to keep him, but I do not think it's going to be um, cheap. Anyway, moving on real quick here too. I also, I got to give an apology to Star Lodelay. Not that he listens to this podcast, but I've been so hard on this guy. I've tried to run him out of town earlier in the season. You're on Twitter. You know how it is. He's probably been one of him and Levi Wallace, I would say. Probably the two most least popular Buffalo Bills. The two guys that are always getting the most shit from fans on Twitter. A lot of it deserved, by the way, because he wasn't really doing anything. But Joe Biscaglia from the Athletics has been defending this guy all year, saying, you know what, but guys, he's playing better than the stat show. 
Well, guess what? These last three weeks, the stats are starting to show that he's playing really good. He had another sack today, his third straight. Um, and he also got a, his pinky on that field goal at the end of the half that ended up uh, resulting in a Dallas miss. So that was big. Star Lodale is making some plays. And the other guy I mentioned too, Levi Wallace. I've been a harsh critic of him all year. He was fine today too. So even the guys that are like the not heralded guys, the guys that are getting a lot of criticism, they played well today too. Total defensive effort. Yeah, and it, it, I, I think for as far as Latulale goes, it, the interception. I mean, let's, yeah, look, he's, he's, been, he's been playing much better. And it's, it, it's hard for us, right? We're, we're just fans. We know what we, we think we know what we know. I'm not going to pretend that I understand offensive and defensive line. I think those are the two toughest positions honestly, to gauge. Sure. And because there's so few stats that can be produced from those two spots, you know? Yep. We, we, we don't really, we don't, you know, I, I think about the days of Orlando Pace. We don't care about pancake blocks anymore, right? And we, we think about these, these, these defensive linemen that take up two blockers and they allow their other guys to take up you know, to get the stats, right? To get the tackles, to get the sacks. And we think about the pass rusher, and Starletule is not a pass rusher. He's never going to be one. He's an interior lineman. He's a giant interior lineman. He's not going, he's a run stopper, first and foremost. But what he was able to do today, he showed up on the stats. And I do hope, and again, similar to Ed Oliver, we were kind of making fun of this guy. I do hope that I, I realize now why they signed this guy and you know he maybe you know it's it's unfair to say oh this guy makes his money on one or two games a year but as far as i'm concerned um on a national stage day starla Tule really showed up and he and he looked phenomenal um an awesome performance from him i mean really the entire defensive line there's there's no one that was um that was failing it seemed like everybody did something today and whether or not you're a statistical guy or not, um, everybody did something that you should be happy with today. And I would say that Star, um, you know, he, he absolutely had a superlative effort. And my apologies to him because if that's the type of performance that he was signed for, he, he pulled it off today. And, and it, it, was, it was pretty awesome to see. I'm with Bill Kenny from the 716 Sports Podcast. Again, a completely impromptu episode, which, by the way, I said I really don't have any notes in front of me, and I don't. You pointed out a mistake that I had. It wasn't a sack that Lodele had. It was only like maybe the play of the game, that interception, because that kind of turned the tide for the whole game. So, yes, that play was even much bigger than a sack. It was fun as hell to watch, wasn't it? It was amazing <laughs> to watch. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I'm sitting there. I'm like, holy shit, but this is really happening right now. You know, you did point out something really important about the lines that I completely agree with. When it comes to the offensive line, you judge a guy if he's playing well. I'm talking about the casual fan, including myself. For the most part, if they get holding calls, you're blasting them. Or if, you know, there's a nice big touchdown run, they might point out who made a key block on this big play, and then you know. But for the most part, an offensive lineman, generally speaking, if you don't hear their name much, that means they're playing well. On the defensive side of the ball, and you pointed this out too, a lot of times, if they're playing well, you're going to hear their name a lot. A guy like Star Lodele, when he... He could be playing well. He might not have a tackle the whole game. You're not hearing his name because he's taking on the center in the guard and Matt Milano or Tremaine Evans are getting to fill that gap or Teron Johnson coming up in the box or something like that and making a play. So you did point out something really important there that it's not about stats and numbers and sometimes not hearing a guy could actually be a good thing. All right, so here's the deal, man. I, I've We've went long enough. It's time to talk Josh Allen. For my money, best game of his career. I don't even think it's close either by a ton. And I don't even care about the numbers, which were good. 19 to 24 for 231. I'm looking at the box score right now. 43 yards rushing, a 15-yard touchdown run. Didn't even come close, by the way, at least not from my memory, to an interception. But there were a couple plays. Forget the numbers again. There's a couple plays I wanted to point out to you that tells me that this guy is really starting to get it. He's taking it to another level. He's maturing. He's developing. He's progressing. Whatever adjective that you want to use out there. And a couple of plays that I remember, first of all, the, the big play, that fourth and one, where he dropped the snap, he picked it up, and quite literally, he willed his way to the first down, which for the record, 
that wasn't in vain because that led to the go-ahead touchdown lead that they never surrendered. So that was the obvious big play. But then there were a couple other ones too. There was a third down and three in the third quarter. I specifically remember it. Josh Allen saw in coverage. Cole Beasley was one-on-one in the right side, brought him over. So I don't know what he said to him, obviously, but he goes back out in motion. He knows that it's a one-on-one play. Beasley easily beats the guy. Allen looks him down the whole time. Perfect pass. Musa chains. They scored a touchdown. I just think things like that early in the season, I wasn't seeing much of that. A couple other things too. There was another play at third down. I think this was in the third or fourth quarter. I don't remember, but I thought he was going to run. He was to the right sideline and it looked like he was going to take off. And then he kind of pulled up and he saw Robert Foster and he threw a perfect pass for an easy conversion. And then uh, the last play, um, what was it? Oh, it's just a whole drive, I should say. This is the, the one thing I did write down. That third quarter drive, that was the best drive of his career for me by far. The Bills went up three scores. He looked like, I, I tweeted this at the time. He looked like Peyton Manning. He was throwing the ball underneath, crossing routes. Guys were getting open. He was picking apart the defense, taking what they were giving him. And then all of a sudden, bam, he gets like vintage Cam Newton, takes it to the right sideline, 15 yards for a touchdown and a score. I mean, you agree with me. This was his best game of his career by a lot, considering the stage and everything that was at stake today, right? Oh, I agree. And, and yeah, I mean, there were so many plays. I'm thinking of there was a, uh, a pass, I think it was in the first quarter, and I think it was actually one that ended up, um, I can't remember if they scored on it or not. He made a third and, I don't know, it was like eight or nine pass to Beasley. And it was just like, my God, you know, I'm so I'm I'm down here in Raleigh. I'm not in Buffalo right now, and obviously, we, you know, we're going to record our show on Monday back in Buffalo. But I'm on vacation. I'm with you know family that are, are essentially neutral parties, right? And I was saying, get ready for the Josh Allen experience because he's going to make you know four or five superior plays that you're going to think, my God, this guy is one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, and he's also going to make you know four or five plays that you're just going to think like, what is he thinking? And, and again, you're talking about people that they don't, they don't see the bills, right? This is our national stage today. I know they flex the game in new England, but this is it. This is the first time that anybody has seen Josh Allen. And I have been a, a, a very consistent critic of what Josh Allen has done. Yes, it is his best game as a pro. I don't think that anybody can argue that at this point. You know, at one point we're seeing the graphic on CBS where he's completed his last 10 throws. Did you think that there was ever a point in Josh Allen's career where he's going to complete 10 straight throws last season? Absolutely not. You were kidding yourself. This was the superior Josh Allen performance. He made throws with his arm, with his arm strength. You know, we, you know, we make, we make light of the fact that he can't complete the deep throw. Well, that touchdown that he threw to Beasley – Beasley didn't even break out of his out of his cut, and he hit Beasley, boom, and then Beasley had a wide open, right. um, wide open path into the end zone. I mean, it, you know, I'm not one to gush about Josh Allen. I'm really not, but I I thought he was an excellent quarterback. I thought he outplayed Dak Prescott, who I think is one of the, you know, I don't call him top eight quarterbacks in the NFL at this point. Josh Allen was excellent today. He was excellent. He really was. I, I Pat, he was excellent today. And I, I, you know, that was a, a, you know, he, even on a play where he fumbles the ball and you think, Oh God, here we go again. Because we now know after, after failing on all those third and fourth and twos with the quarterback sneak, we know we love our quarterback sneaks on third and one and fourth and one, but they consistently got it today. And I can't fault them because that's what you should do on third and one and fourth and one. If you have a six or five quarterback, that's mobile, you should run the quarterback sneak. You should allow him to get that yard because he should have the athleticism and the smarts to get there. And he was able to do that consistently today. I, it is it is the best Josh Allen game. I, I don't have any complaints about his performance today, and that is very rare for me to say. This is going to be corny, and this is going to be cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. That play, that fumble play, was kind of symbolic of the difference between the 2019 Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Bills for the most part of the past two decades. Any other time over the last two decades, that ball's a fumble, and he doesn't pick it up, and he gets hit right away, and he fumbles again. And long story short, they don't convert on fourth and two inches. This year, he picks up that ball, and he says, you know what? I ain't going down. 
I'm picking up this first down. And, and he does. That That's the difference between this team and, for the most part, minus 2017, the last 19 or whatever years. I saw a stat from Field Yates, and this, I think, really best describes the progression of Josh Allen. He says, um, he points out that he owns the league's longest streak of consecutive games accounting for two plus touchdowns at seven. And during those seven games, this is so impressive to me. He's now thrown 12 touchdowns, just two interceptions, and he's added 205 yards rushing with four rushing touchdowns as well. Dude, that's a hell of a stretch, man. That's, that's all, you know, minus the total yards passing, which I think is completely overrated as evidenced by Dak Prescott today. Those are elite stats. I don't care what anyone tells me. And he ran a couple of read options today, and they were designed read options. Yeah. And when he was running them with Devin Singletary, I don't care about the one that he ran with Frank Gore because, honestly, at this point, I love Frank Gore. I, I think it's amazing. Like, Frank Gore's career is incredible. I, there's nothing like it right now in pro sports that he's just so consistent. I mean, maybe Vince Carter, but even Vince Carter kind of had that peak. Frank Gore has just been Frank Gore for the past 15 years. And it really is incredible. But when you can run read option with Devin Singletary and they tried a couple of screen passes today too, and they failed, but you know what? You have to run those plays because at some point Devin Singletary is going to break one of those screens. And at some point on one of those read options, I don't know if it's Singletary or Allen, but they're going to get a 25 yard score on one of those plays. And that was where I thought Dable may have called his best game of the season as well. You know, the, the reverse leaf licker where John Brown's throwing the, the touchdown pass, yeah. you know, that was, that was fun. And, and a, a good, I actually, I honestly, I think it was a good place to bring it out because sure. I, I think the bills mentality and the bills reputation around the league is that of a, you know, relatively lowercase C conservative offense, right? Like they're, they're not ones to take chances. They're not ones to necessarily break out a ton of creativity. Sure. They use motion. Sure. They use jet sweeps with a tight end here and there, but I thought Dable called a great game and I thought Allen executed a great game. And I think that we haven't seen that before. And I, I I'm telling you in the next few weeks, you know, I'm excited to see, um, what, what, what's going to come, especially, you know, we see the kind of the template of what we think of the mobile quarterback in, in Lamar Jackson coming up here in 10 days against the, you know, the, the Baltimore bills game. I mean, all of a sudden the, the, that feels like a monster matchup because I think Allen, God help me for saying this, Pat, I think Allen can hold his own against Lamar Jackson, and that Baltimore offense. I really honestly believe that. I don't disagree with that. And I'm glad you brought up um, Brian Dable because I'll tell you this, if I'm going to be man enough to sit here and bash him as often as I have on my show this year, I'm going to be man enough to admit that I thought he was absolutely fantastic today too. Called his best game. Absolutely. I mean, we're giving credit, we're giving credit to McDermott. We're giving credit to the offense, the defense. Give that man some credit as well. That was a brilliant play call, the the trick play for a touchdown. And I thought, generally speaking, he ran well-timed, like you said, RPOs. It was a nice end around to Isaiah McKenzie that worked. Robert Foster had a nice seven-yard run. He ran those at the right time. Short of, I remember early in the game, I tweeted it out. I criticized. He had ran, the Bills were pinned deep, and they predictably ran on first and second down for nothing. I think it might have been Gore, who just trying to get out of the end zone. I felt that was too conservative, and I was annoyed by that. That was a drive where um, Josh Allen converted on third down. I think he hit Cole Beasley, surprise, surprise, today, which happened quite often. And they moved the chains. They didn't end up scoring, but they did flip the field on that. But I didn't like the the runs on first and second. But outside of that, man, I thought Brian Gable was absolutely fantastic today for sure. So I wanted to point that out. I just mentioned Cole Beasley. This was an important game as far as I'm concerned. Six catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown again. Dallas revenge game, obviously, I'm sure it meant a lot to him personally, as it should, of course. But here's why I think it was so important, okay? John Brown has been the Bills' best receiver this year by a lot. And I feel like teams are starting to get to the point, at least over until the past two weeks or so, where he's getting a lot of attention paid on him. Some double teams, and it's opening up stuff for Cole Beasley. And now Cole Beasley, this is becoming a legit one-two punch again, where I felt like earlier it was all John Brown. I was like, oh my God, if something happens to John Brown, this offense is gonna, literally not going to be able to move the ball. Won't get a first down through the air. 
Well, Cole Beasley's really starting to assert himself again. He did early in the year, and then he kind of tapered off a little bit. He's becoming a very important part of this passing offense. And again, I pointed out a couple plays where Allen communicated with him, and you could see that pass coming before it happened. You could see that Josh Allen trusts this dude 150%. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, John Brown, first game of the season where he doesn't get 50 yards, right? Just three of 26. Yeah. Cole Beasley is there to pick up the slack, and he was without question, the number one option in the passing game. Other than that, it's a lot, you know, Singletary, McKenzie, Brown, and Knox, they all get three catches. I mean, it was really spread out, right, as far as what he is. But you you talk about Allen going 19 for 24, and then you talk about Cole Beasley. Yeah, that was the game. I kind of thought, and I think a lot of us did, Cole Beasley was kind of going to have to be the number one piece because if we thought Josh Allen was going to improve, it was going to be in that short game. Sure. Instead, it's been in that intermediary passing game. John Brown has been superior in that game. But, yeah, excellent game by Cole Beasley. I don't care if it, you know, if this is his one game where he's going to lead the Bills in receiving yards and catches, that's fine by me because he proved tonight that he was – that's the reason that you get that guy, right? Because not only was he taking the short passes, but he was taking the short passes and turning them upfield and turning them into touchdowns. Yeah. And I thought, in a, you know, at least in one case, and I thought he did a really good job, and that's why you get Cole Beasley uh, for your offense. And, yeah, I, I, I look, I, it's very – I'm in a weird position right now, Pat, as I think you are too. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of complaints right now with the offense because I thought that was, I really thought that 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 was their best game of the season. If you're complaining about the Bills offense or defense tonight, you're trying too hard. That's the only conclusion I I can come up with, you know? And if this is, and this is Beasley's Mm -hmm. best game, I'm glad it was this one because I'm sure, again, it's very personally gratifying for him to go out and beat up on the team that, you know, didn't really want him back much. Last guy I wanted to hit on was Devin Singletary. You mentioned him. Another solid game for the rookie, 63 yards rushing, 38 yards receiving, caught the touchdown pass on the trick play. Another good game. He's another guy who I'm really starting to become a fan of more and more each game. I've complained early in the season. I mean, he also missed time with the hamstring injury, but even when he was not hurt, I I was a little impatient. I'm like, why is this guy not more involved? But I get it now. I really do. The Bills had the perfect situation. A guy like Frank Gore leading the way early on mentoring this kid on and off the field and he's slowly starting to take the reins of this offense in the backfield and become more and more productive and there weren't a lot of holes some of these yards that he got and also against Denver the week before too he's making guys miss I mean like in a phone booth kind of holes he's making people miss and getting some of these extra yards and as small as he is he's also pretty goddamn physical he's very underrated physical because he's not getting hit and going backwards or never breaking a tackle like LaShawn McCoy did when he was a Buffalo Bill, as good as LaShawn was. He didn't run people over. You know, once you had him, he was done. That's not the case with Singletary at all. This kid's running hard. I really like him a lot. Yeah, and I do think that we were kind of thinking, okay, so Devin Singletary, he's not really the physical guy. It's kind of a thunder and lightning thing, right, with Frank Gore and uh, Devin Singletary. And, you know, we use that term from, God, back when Tiki Barber and Ron Dane were doing it, right? I don't mean that necessarily in the sense, but um, Devin Singletary is a more physical runner than what we thought. Now, he is slight, and I get that, and you probably want to limit the number of times that he's going to actually be, you know, you know, running between the tackles. I get that. And, you know, you, but you look at how they use him today. It was, I think it was 17 touches for Singletary, 14 rushes, uh, three catches for Singletary versus, I think it was nine and one for Gore. And Gore is just kind of the hammer at this point. And I, I, I will still think that paying anything more than a million dollars for running back is dumb. And I will continue that. I have to say I've enjoyed the Frank Gore experience. Again, I'm just, you know, if we're being completely honest, I think it's awesome that he is now on the Mount Rushmore. As Rich Gannon said last week, uh, apparently you can use Frank Gore, just his first name. You can just call him Frank and we'll know who he is in terms of 
the running back pantheon, which I sure. thought was one of the great uh, the great moments in uh, in hyperbole in in recent NFL commentary. But um, Devin Singletary is the lead runner. He's been the lead runner, the running back in on this offense for about a month now, and I think he's really falling into place. No, he didn't get a hundred yards today, but he basically got that when in terms of touches today cumulatively. And I think that it's pretty clear at this point that Devin Singletary is a more dynamic personality than LaShawn McCoy or Frank Gore ever could be at this point. He offers more in the passing game, and he offers the ability to break the big play. It's great to get a couple of yaks after after contact, but Singletary is the guy that you're looking for. That he, He's a game-breaker that the Bills have been looking for for a few years and he has, you know, the Bills really haven't had that since the heyday of LaShawn McCoy. It's been a couple seasons at least since they've had that kind of weapon in the backfield. Frank Gore also, he had a 14-yard catch, too. I like the role that he's playing right now. Here's my favorite compliment that I could say about Frank Gore. Never in the history of the Buffalo Bills franchise, and I'll even include Thurman Thomas in this, have I ever felt more safe and secure that when it's the fourth quarter and the Bills are up two scores and there's Five minutes left in the game, and the only way the opponent's getting back in the game is if you fumble. When Josh Allen hands that ball to Frank Gore, I've never in my life been more confident that Frank Gore is not going to fumble the football. I don't care. He might lose two yards of carry. I don't give a shit. All he's got to do is not fumble. He ain't going to fumble. I love having him for that reason alone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Kenneth Davis wants to have a conversation with you, I think. (laughs) But no, I I understand completely. Yeah, I mean, and that's Frank's role. And you know what? at 36, even doing this for 15 years. I mean, I remember Frank Gore. I'm an Ohio State fan. I remember Frank Gore in the national championship game, Ohio State against Miami in 2000, you know, in early 2003. I mean, Keith Jackson was calling Frank Gore, uh, you know, in college games. I mean, this guy has been doing this for a long time. And like I said, I still think it's dumb to commit any sort of major monetary value towards the running back, but I'm enjoying the Frank Gore experience a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, for sure. Last thing too, by the way, the offense didn't turn the ball over again today. That's five times in the last seven games where they didn't have a turnover. By the way, I don't know if you were on Twitter at all during the game. I thought this was really cool. Terrell Owens only obviously played played with the Bills one year, 2009. Did you see that he was openly rooted for the Bills against Dallas today? No, I miss that, but that's fantastic. He's got a key to the goddamn city. I would hope that he would root for Buffalo rather than Dallas. But, you know, that is funny. That does say a lot because a lot of the players um, are still in place in Dallas, and none of the players are really in place in Buffalo. So that's that's actually, you know, there's something to be said about that, that T.O. is is willing to go for for Buffalo. (laughs) I'll tell you what, Bill, because you're on vacation in Carolina, I'm down here chilling right now in Florida. It's Thanksgiving night. We're taping this late, very late Thursday night. We're in good moods. We're around family. We had good eats. We watched the Buffalo Bills go to Dallas and pretty much dominate them, which again, I did not see that coming. Because I'm in such a good mood, the one thing I don't want to do with this episode, which normally I would, but I ain't going to do it today, is talk any Buffalo Sabres shit. No, 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 no. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. No, please. Let's stay away. Hey, they lost to the team that didn't have the racist coach behind the bench last night. So let's just, let's just stay way far away from that. Let's let's bask in the glory of what we had. I'm, I'm overlooking a, a beautiful lake here tonight uh, in North Carolina. I'm enjoying it. And, uh, yes, it, it's been a wonderful day. Um, for the love of God, let's not talk about the hockey team this evening. By the way, uh, several times during the game, Jerry Jones' reactions were priceless. Who knows what happens when people listen to this on Friday? Maybe something does happen, but would you be shocked? I know they he said many times, you know, nothing's going to happen this season. But after losing at home to a team that, again, the Bills are 8-3 and three coming in, but they did not get a lot of respect around the league. And I don't, I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. I think that changed for sure today. I saw a lot of national people giving Buffalo their props and stuff, but losing at home like they did to Buffalo on Thanksgiving with the whole world watching, no other games on TV except that one. I think that might uh that might accelerate this process of getting rid of Jason Garrett because this team just doesn't seem to respond to him very well. On paper, you know, seem- on paper, I'm like, why did this team lose to Buffalo today? Not because Buffalo's not good, but I mean, you look at the talent on Dallas on both sides of the football, and they're at home, 
and they need to win the game to stay ahead of Philly, and they go on and they lay an egg on national TV like that, that's not good. You're not playing for your coach. No, and Philadelphia actually has Miami this week, and we know that other, uh, you know, whether they're, uh, unless they're playing against the the Sam Darnold Jets uh, version, you know, the husk of the Jets, um, they struggle. You know, as we're doing this podcast, I'm on ESPN.com just checking out some stats and everything, and what's the lead story? The lead story is Garrett's safe until the end of the season. I mean, Here's the deal. We know the national story. Nobody gives nobody gives a shit about the Bills, right? They're nine and three. They're going to have to win a playoff game to really make things matter. Maybe they have a chance in that. You know, we know that they've been flexed to the uh, the triple header um, Christmas the weekend before Christmas against New England. But really, you know, the Bills they're still going to have to earn respect. The story is going to be about the Cowboys, but I'm okay with that because the goddamn Buffalo Bills are nine and three. I I was in uh, a freshman in high school the last time that this team won more than ten games in the regular season. I I think it's okay, and like I said, I've nitpicked. I've I've done everything I could about this. I hated the Josh Allen pick. I am a pessimist, but it's okay to be excited about your team sometimes, and sometimes you just got to be a fan. And I'm gonna let go tonight. You know, like I said, I think I texted you. I think I've already had about two or three bottles worth of red wine this evening. It's been a wonderful day with the family. And I'm just going to enjoy this for the next few days because the Bills are in a great position right now. It doesn't matter about what the Cowboys are to me at this point. What matters is that the Bills are 9-3. and three. And I know that they have a certain team based in the greater Boston area that's ahead of them. I just don't care about that right now. They're the second best team in the AFC, or sorry, the third best team in the AFC. Even that doesn't matter. They're one of the three best teams in the AFC. Let's just enjoy this. Let's enjoy everybody. Let's enjoy the food. Let's enjoy the the drinks, and let's enjoy this holiday weekend because the Bills showed themselves out on national television on arguably one of the biggest stages that the NFL gives you on an annual basis. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy the fact that I could stop hearing people say that the seventh or eighth best team in the NFC could beat the third best team in the AFC. Nope. Any day of the week after that. Nope. Uh, listen, I'm a, glut- I'm a glutter for punishment, though. I'm going to admit it. I agree with you. I should feel that way, but I'm not going to lie. And I, again, hopefully people are hearing this sometime Friday morning or early Friday afternoon, whatever. But I'll be tuned in. I'll be listening to see what Skip Bayless says. To his credit, by the way, he did give the Bills some credit on Twitter, which kind of shocked me. I'll be wanting to hear what like Stephen A. Smith has to say about the Bills. I do agree. 90% of the talk, like on ESPN's first take or get up and all those shows, Colin Coward, who did give Josh Allen props. Wow, as I'm going through this, I'm like, wow, these guys did throw the Bills some love. But my point being is they're probably going to spend a lot more time talking about how Dallas blew it and how they're in big trouble as opposed to the Bills ascending to one of the better teams in the NFL and stuff like that. But you know what? Mm -hmm. Here's the bottom line, bro. Bills are nine and three. There's four games left. If they went 0-4 over the last month, and I'm certainly not thinking that's going to happen, but even if they did, they still might make the playoffs at this point. Semi-worst-case semi scenario, and this is what I think is the worst-case realistic scenario, is that even if they were to lose in next three and they beat the Jets at home week 17, they end up with 10 wins. 10 wins is going to get you in the playoffs this year. I'm telling you that right now. 10 wins is the number. You get to 10, you're in the playoffs. I don't think you have anything to worry about. There ain't three teams in the AFC among the wildcard teams that are getting the 10 wins this year. Anyway. No, and I agree with that. I, and I think that, honestly, I feel better about the Pittsburgh game. I feel Me too. better about the New England game. And I always thought that they were going to get the Jets game, even though the Jets kind of had their little peak. And I have heard, you know, apparently Darnold's doing better. But, you know, other than this Baltimore game, which I kind of think is a little bit of free money at this point, by winning this game, I think you kind of afford yourself the Baltimore game. I think the Baltimore may actually be the best team in the AFC secretly. Sure. Um, we saw them beat the Patriots, and they're they're certainly peaking at the right time. I'm curious to see how the Bills will defend next week against the Ravens. But, you know, that's for another time. I It's okay to enjoy this. The, the Bills have clinched a winning record, and I think they're going to the playoffs. God, I don't want to say that out loud, but... I like you said. I think that they're in a really good position at this point, point. Um, and that's cool. 
because you know what that doesn't happen very often and it's kind of fun and, and it's okay to be fun and maybe this is sustainable when you think about the cap space that they have and what they could potentially build here i i think that the bills are in they're in pretty good shape right now oh there's no question about it and i said before this dallas game that i felt like the bills are playing with house money because i didn't again i i gotta keep saying it because i gotta be honest with people i did not think that they were going to win this game so if they won the house money today then they really are playing with house money next week i'd love to see them beat baltimore and I've always thought that Baltimore is good as they are. And I do agree with you. I do think they're, you know what? They might be the best team in the NFL, period. Forget AFC, NFC. They're good all around, especially if Lamar Jackson's playing, keeps playing the way he is. But I'm like, all right, you're going into Buffalo, which is never an easy place to play. It, it The weather could be a factor because this is going to be early December now when Baltimore comes to town. So lots of things could happen. I'm not going to write it off. I certainly agree with you now. I definitely, if I had any reservations about going on the road to beat Pittsburgh, because I was like, all right, well, I know they beat Tennessee, but I'm like, beat a team on the road. I'm not sure the Bills are any good on the road. That changes after today. Why can't they go into Pittsburgh and beat Mason Radoff or whoever the hell their goddamn quarterback is? I know that changes every week. So yeah, for this team. He's a duck caller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a duck caller. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, there's, this team should get to 10 wins. I'm not quite ready to go searching for playoff tickets yet, but I'm almost there. Again, ESPN has them at 95%. I want to leave you with one last thing here, okay? This is my take, and I want you to elaborate on it a little bit. I said this on Twitter after the game. I want to get your thoughts on this. One of the major reasons why I didn't, let me tell you why I didn't want Josh Allen in the draft in 2018. It wasn't so much because I didn't like him physically. I didn't, not that I didn't think he could become a good quarterback. One of the big reasons why I didn't want Josh Allen in the Bills is because I was so sick of the divisiveness among fans. Having gone a couple years with Tyrod Taylor, where half the fan base loves the guy, you can win with him. The other half said, you can't win with him, he can't throw the football. The other half's like, well, he doesn't turn it over. This and that, you got a good defense, he's the perfect fit for this kind of organization. So anyway, my point was this, 50-50, you know what I'm saying? Josh Allen was kind of the same way coming into the draft for different reasons. Half the fans loved him because of his physical raw abilities. Half the fans hated him because he's inaccurate. I kept hearing Tyler Bowler comparisons left and right. Uh, A Jay Cutler at the end of his career when he sucked, I heard a lot of comparisons like that, which was absolutely a stupid comparison, by the way, just so we're clear on that. But anyway, for that reason, I didn't want him. So when I say this, during the entire Tyrod era and through today's game at Dallas with the Josh Allen era, Bills fans have been pretty divided about being all in on their quarterback. And I understand both reasons, both sides of the fence with Tyrod and with Josh Allen up to today. But that should end now. That should be over with, okay? I feel like if you're a Bills fan, even if you're not, everyone should be all in on Josh Allen. And if you're not, all in on Josh Allen after what you've seen today and last week against Denver. Why the hell not? How could you not be all in? If you're a Bills fan, this quarterback, what you're seeing, what about him makes you not all in? All right, let me play devil's advocate with that real quick. I think a lot of it was how Tyrod Taylor was treated his last season in Buffalo. Um, I just, I wasn't, they were trying to make him into something they weren't. They benched him for Nathan Peterman. All of that. I, I think that's honestly what I, this could have been Tyrod Taylor, and I won't back off of that, but I'll, I'll leave you with this. Josh Allen has become a much better quarterback in a year and a half than I thought any, than I thought he was capable of. I think there's a lot, a lot of national analysts that have to realize that Josh Allen is not the quarterback that they thought he was. He's not going to be the 50% passer. He's not going to be, you know, the the running aspect. We we didn't know. Nobody knew that he could be this kind of runner. And they're actually now sort of designing towards it to make him a better runner. Josh Allen is a better quarterback than what I thought he was going to. I still don't like giving up the capital because I think you maybe could have gotten him at 10 rather than where they got him at 7. It doesn't matter now. Josh Allen has been a proven quarterback He's a he's a good quarterback. He's a very he's a above average quarterback, and I think he's now staying above average. And for the Bills at this point, when was the last time we had consistent above average quarterback play? I mean, it's really been since Drew Bledsoe. So I get it. 
it still hurts me with the Tyrod thing, and I, I do think that that's what a lot of the people that don't like Josh Allen cling to. But I get where we can say maybe it's time for us to turn the corner on Josh Allen, especially after a performance like this. Josh Allen has won me over. I'm going to leave it at that. I feel like now he's legitimately progressing, whereas before, you know, just because you play more games doesn't mean you're improving. It just means you've played more games. I'm starting to see little things with him now. Patience and poise and calmness in the pocket. He's not looking to take off and run. He's probably in the last two games against Denver and Miami. He's probably moved away from the pocket and made plays with his arm more times in the last two games than he probably has in the last 10 games before that. He's not turning the ball over. He had one terrible pass against Denver that sailed high in him. That just got away from him. It happens. But outside of that, I think he's thrown, what, six games now? Six games, one interception. The fumbles, the fumbles were a big problem. Maybe they still will become one again, but. That's something that he's curbed as well. He's making good decisions. I really like the tempo of the offense now. I like the way that they're getting to the line quick and giving him time to look at the defense. And then he kind of brings the guys in and he calls what he's going to call. I feel like that's been very beneficial to him. This is just the first time that I've seen him that I could buy in where I could say I'm all in because I legitimately feel like this guy's starting to ascend now instead of just saying, all right, well, he's got more starts. Let's see what happens. It's that up, down, up, down. I feel like his ascension and now is starting to become uh, very clear to see. Very clear. The one thing that concerns me was the 2017 Jaguars had a really good quarterback in Blake Bortles that one season. Sure. And then he kind of turned back into a pumpkin. If he can avoid that next season, then I'm okay with it. Because don't forget, the season, you know, I, I don't know how much you care or pay attention to this. They got the AFC West and the NFC West next year, things will get, it, the schedule will be tougher next year, yeah. no doubt. So that is something to consider, but right now, let's accept him for what he is right now. And he's also two years younger than Bortles. I think it was his fourth season that, uh, or third or fourth season that Bortles went there um, in the AFC championship game where the Jaguars almost beat the Patriots. Um, you know, Josh Allen is younger and I think that his ceiling, I think is pretty clear. We can define it as being higher than what Blake Bortles would be. That's very fair. We'll leave it at that too. Blake Bortles. That's a fair, very objective comparison. Yeah. We'll leave it there. I want to thank everyone for listening again, completely impromptu podcast episode here. Wasn't going to do it, but based on today and plus the opportunity to get to know Bill a little bit. My man, Bill Kenny, you can follow him on Twitter at the Bill Kenny. Check out the 716 Sports Podcast drops every Tuesday. Of course, I usually got my man, Jeff Boyd from the 716 on too. So thanks a lot, Bill. Really appreciate your time. Good stuff from you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Go Bills. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.